Hello there, and welcome to a Dungeons and Dragons role-playing podcast. My name is Stacy, and I'm the DM. So come with me and my good friend Mick. Join us in our weekly discussion about our campaign. Listen to our successes and failures while trying to flex our role-playing muscle. The funny bits, the dumb bits, and the all-round good time that comes with this great activity. The cast is an Azamar warlock named Elbrum, whose pixie-familiar sill is as fierce as she is small. An elf-marked wizard named Calidus, who's lost his box. A gear-forged paladin called Saber. A knoll cleric, Oraki, making her way in the big city. And I'm pleased to introduce the behemoth minotaur rogue, frozen for 400 years, Thoran. The campaign setting is the Southlands from Cobalt Press. We're using the D&D 5e rule set, and we game using the Fantasy Grounds virtual tabletop. So that's the cast. That's the campaign. Now, welcome to the show. In this episode, the players, acting as ambassadors for the Palad Court, persuade Hazi to enter the archaeological site and search Anwasir's pyramid. The atmosphere of the pyramid is stifling, air hangs heavy, and sounds are muffled. The Grey Company begins an exploration that is not slow, nor methodical. The wizard Calidus uses his blotting ink pouch of sand to test for pressure plate traps. Oraki uses the head of a flail, and together they trigger a trap. Have no fear, Elbrum is here, and... Thanks to Vrillstone Chaos, he still has sand breathing. Fearless, Elbrum wades into the room as it fills with sand. His companions wait. Nervous. The Grey Company finds a pool of water. Saber's iron stones circle his asshatch, propelling him through the water. In the end, he takes one for the team and becomes an immobilized rust bucket. We're sorry to see you leave, good Saber. Your succinct tongue will be missed. The pool's waters reflect rainbow-colored torches, revealing a room filled with lion statues and a frozen minotaur. Well, hello, Thoran Zephrids, frozen for 400 years. Should we tell him his city's been destroyed? The Grey Company returns to the entrance, ready to leave, hurting and tired. You... You can't leave. We must go below. There's... There's something. I... I can feel it. We have to find it. Can such whispered words from Syl stop the party? What? This is horseshit. We've gotta go. Eyes can't cast me another spell. What should a company do when you encounter two lone acolytes deep within a tomb? Stripped down to their underwear. Well, you send Elbrum. Fade to Sleeper Island. Racist paladins are dragging bugbear slaves. The players want to buy the slaves. The racist paladins want none of that. There's dead air as the players struggle to figure out what to do next. Oh, uh, can we roll and try to persuade them to sell? The paladin stares at the player. He pulls one bugbear from the slave line 
to stand front and center, then responds, We can deal if you kill this filth now. Ooh, let's push this awkward situation, shall we? Do you want to know more? Then sit back, stay tuned, and enjoy. Hello, good people of the interwebs. I'm back for another chat with my friend Mick. Shall we start the recorder rolling? Good idea. In this session, we are going to focus on two, two, two subjects while we talk about what happened last week. The first one is players having a huddle to, to have a little chit-chat while the NPCs are looking on. Does it or doesn't it happen? And the other one was if a player's got some internal stuff, that's some, something that happens that maybe it's related to their backstory, do, should they stay quiet or should they talk about it? What's the smart thing to do? So those are the two focus points for this session. All right, so what happened in our session last a couple of days ago? In fact, I, I enjoyed our session quite a bit. So uh, you were just back from your vacation, so you did miss out on one session before. Two uh, sessions. It should have been two sessions, yeah. but, but as it happened, real life kind of punched everybody a few weeks ago, and so uh, we had to cancel one session. So there's only one session you missed, and in that session, I, I had a, a good kick where they're like, well, we need, we need Calidus to cast a spell. And just before you're casting the spell, they're like, wait, he's got the Vril Stone. Please make sure someone, does he use it or not? And I was just like, well, does he remember? Let's, let's give it a 50-50 chance that yeah. he remembers. And no, he forgot about it. <laughs> and so As he usually does. He cast, the spell gets cast, and of course, he, he ne nearly dies. The, the episode that, be, that happened before, we were also introducing a new player who was joining the group because... The player who was doing Saber, unfortunately, real life and his job is forcing him to work late. And so he's been very, very sporadic. So we've had to, to replace him. So we've had a new guy come on and he's playing a Minotaur. So we're trying to think, you guys are in the middle of the tomb. How do we introduce this Minotaur? So I knew that you guys were getting close to the Rainbow Room. So I thought it'd be neat if I put him into the Rainbow Room and have him stuck in a force cage. So in the rainbow room, there's this pedestal that's got the different colored scarabs on it, and his hand is floating over one of the scarabs, and he's stuck. And it was interesting. I, I enjoyed, because he was in the background listening in, and I, I'm not sure if everybody caught when he was going to be introduced, because I, I asked him, don't select your character so they don't know what race you're going to be, so they don't have an idea of when you're coming in. So they were, everybody was injured. Oraki tried to heal the Vrillstone worked against you again. You were in some pretty rough shape. So you, and of course, Saber wasn't there. So we were playing uh, Saber as just, you know, the automaton that was falling along. So you, Saber, and Oraki were sitting while Elbrum went into the swimming pool. Uh, so they left the, the, the stabilized body of the hag with you. I, and I guess you guys were just watching over the hag to make sure. And then Elbrum went in and to explore, and he found the Rainbow Room. And he went into the rainbow room and he walked around for a bit and, and was looking and he tried a couple of things and, and he placed his hand on the altar and I said that when he placed his hand on the altar, the, the force cage, he touched one of the uh, scarabs, the, the green scarab on the altar, the pedestal. And when he did that, the force cage around the minotaur flashed and I said to the minotaur, you can say one word. <laughs> and so he's wow. like... Stop! And then, so Elbrum was just like, 
and he heads back and he runs back to get everybody else and they drag you all back in and there's the statues the the statues that are sitting around and i think at one point i think oraki she's you and oraki your passive perception is very very high so I, I know I get you guys to roll your perception often, but and I usually will weigh your perception against passive. And often if I'm saying roll perception, when it's not you guys specifically asking, I'm measuring against passive, and whichever is the higher is that I'll take. But when you guys specifically say, well, can I see that? And yep. you basically say, okay, then roll a perception. At that point, if you roll low, then I take the low roll. So it's usually only perception uh, versus passive perception. I only do that when I'm doing it on, on your guys' behalf and seeing whether or not you guys notice certain things. So the two of you guys noticed... And it, right. I, I do like the excuses for why we didn't see it. My, my passive perception works really well. I can see everything in sight. But then all of a sudden, I'm totally and completely exhausted or I've fallen over a, a, a shoelace and I can't see anything. Yeah, I did that a yeah. couple of times where you guys were trying to look <laughs> at something and I was just like... You guys rolled like ridiculously low, and I was just like, "Well, what? What What's to explain the for, for not being able to see?" And I, I, I don't know if it was you or if it was Oraki, but one of you guys, your shoelace was untied. I noticed so that. You, you were just so focused on that that you were just you weren't able to pay attention to what was going on. So the two of you guys noticed that the statues looked extremely lifelike. The minutia of detail was, maybe minutia is not the right word, the minute detail was really incredible. So you guys are sitting there and everything like this, and there's really only two ways that you guys could possibly trigger waking up the statues. And the statues were frozen. They were a bunch of Nicosi were lions, and you had to either mess with the statues, like physically mm -hmm. mess with the statues in some fashion, or you had to try, if you used water on the scarabs in order to start activate them, and you did it in the incorrect order, they would get activated yep. now and it was it was phenomenal when you weren't there these guys they're like the rainbows over the pool and stuff and they they thought of everything except for taking water and putting it on the scarabs <laughs> like they tried everything about following the colors of the rainbow and what made me happy was very clearly they didn't go try looking in the module to figure stuff out it was it was good because you know i changed the tomb so they wouldn't recognize the map so it was a completely yeah. different battle map and of course, I changed the name of the tomb as well, trying to avoid people trying to go and find information out about it. So that that was good. And then, of course, that session ended. They woke up in the Kosi, and just pure luck, Oraki was rolling really well on her persuasions to try to stop them from taking you guys out. the crowd. Well, because you guys did attack first. so I wasn't even there. <laughs> no, you weren't I was there. on holiday. <laughs> so this session started up with the five of you guys with a new Minotaur were standing there, and the Nikosi were, some of them were on the other side of the room, the others were still in front of you guys, kind of guarding you guys. They'd taken away uh, some of your weapons, all not weapons. all of your weapons. Mm -hmm. They had seen the Vril Stone, because at one point in the previous session, they had, the guys had you drop the Vril Stone in order for you to cast some magic, so they seen the Vril Stone on the ground, and they knew instantly what it was. Mm -hmm. So, but again, Oraki managed to persuade them, which allowed him to pick it up, without them getting really, really upset about it. So that, that was pretty impressive. He had some really good persuasion roles. And he did a good job. I mean, the guy who plays Araki is really trying hard to, mm -hmm. to role-play, and he does a, a, an excellent job He does an it. excellent job. Yeah. Basically, you had the Vril Stone, so, but otherwise, the scimitars that belonged to the Minotaur, they had them, they had Oraki's mace, and they had Saber's longsword. They'd managed to disarm all of you guys.
so that's where the session started up where the the five of you guys were standing there versus the eight of them hmm. and and you guys started to try to have a little bit of a discussion and, and i i i i knew that if we if i didn't do something that could have been the entire session you guys having a discussion with them and i was sitting there th- and i knew i thought Mick's going to try to get them to be on his side so that he can use them for whatever battle's going to come up. So I wanted them out. That's, that, that is always my plan, particularly given that I am standing in the middle of a stinking hot pyramid yes. with no spells left. Yes. And half of my hit points have disappeared. Yeah. So, yes. But also, we, have, we are notorious for not having any strength in our, in our team. We are the, the wimpiest of wimpy. We may be in really intelligent, but... The one thing we're missing is strength, and that means that if we're going to get into a fight, we have to have someone with us. So therefore, we have to persuade people to join us, even if it's only just for that fight. Yeah. Yeah, you guys don't... There's not... Odaki's not bad. She's, she's better than average for strength. You guys, you and... Elbrum's average. You're less than average. Less than average. Saber was the only one who had a really yeah. good strength score, and then he had the, the iron stones as well. Yeah. I still love that, the iron stones that floated around <laughs> his ass. I thought that was... Saber is not dead. We've just put him in storage. We will bring him back because we know where he is. We, we, could, we could actually, actually what we can do is we will take him out of there. If we get an opportunity, we will take him out of there and we will take him back to our house and we will just sit him in a corner <laughs> and we can use him as a hat stand until someone comes along. And when That's someone awesome. with the appropriate skill, and it'll be a knock on the door and it'll be someone that comes along and says, yeah, I've come to fix your robot. Yeah. And they'll come in, fix the robot, bang, there's the new player. That's, that's, there you go. There you go. You got, all of a sudden, you've got, a, your, you've got your paladin back. Yeah. But that was, uh, that, that was you know, how do, you, how do you exit him and bring in a new person? And yeah. So, I mean, it did mean that he, we, got, we found out in the session that he's no longer going to be able to do it just because he's leaving because his work is so sporadic that he can't guarantee being there yeah. on time and so he felt bad and so he said okay well maybe you made her find someone to replace me and yep that's exactly that's what's going to happen we'll find if, someone if to... i die i'm going to come back and be i'm, I'm going to come back and be saber i can saber has just as a character that character has so much potential i mean it's got hatches and buttons and switches and lights and and so far we've only found one hatch that we can use but there'll Once be again, lots Mick of is, other things that you can let do. Let me be with the it. fighter. Let me be the fighter. <laughs> I want to be the fighter. No, I want to use the other things for silliness. Like yeah. you know, you can hang things on him, and he can carry stuff. And he's got. Well, it was he, funny. Got, like so, go. to get through the pool of water, like Oraki couldn't swim through the pool of water because it was fifteen feet deep. So you guys had to swim. Yeah. But Saber doesn't need to breathe, so he Just carried her water, the walked bottom. along the bottom. The yeah. iron stones spinning about his ass, acting as a propeller to move him through the water. I yeah, that, that was a bit of fun description there, and, and that was, I think, Elbrum that was like, "Yeah, it's like a propeller." I was like, "Yeah, right on, yeah, a propeller." Yeah. But of course, the the water rusted him out, and that that was why uh, he we can repair him. He will yep. be fixed. Yeah, he's coming back. You guys did manage to pull out his soul stone. You managed to. Yeah mend his ass hatch so that you can pull the soul stone out so in essence you have his essence yeah so and of course so we, we and could, then you, we, lo- we then could, you looted his corpse we, <laughs> so we could we actually could trot off around the corner to the local machine maker and, and get a new one made and just stick the soul stone back in it yeah, that's that's a yeah. po- that's certainly a possibility and in fact i'd have to do a little bit of research on gear forge to see how that would work but anyways main point is you guys are there. The Nikosi are there. 
you guys watched as the Nikosi tore apart. So you, there was the sea hag that you guys encountered. You managed to kill her. You guys had dealt with the sea hag. You, you did well in that encounter. I tried to paint it in such a fashion that a beautiful woman came out and would you guys still attack? And the, the thing with the sea hags is they hate beauty. And, and the fact is, even though Oraki is a knoll, she's got a very high charisma. So the sea hag was going to go after her. Even as a beautiful woman, you know, Oraki didn't care. You guys were kind of, you guys could gotten frightened, had run off. Oraki managed to deal a blow, basically. Well, you, eventually you guys all came in, and I think you dealt the, the, the death blow. But as she was flowing into water, the next session started, and you guys decided, there was a decision made that we're going to stabilize her. We need to get some questions yeah. answered. So you didn't want to leave her in the hallway while you guys go investigate this room. So you dragged her through the water as you guys went into the rainbow room, and then you left her there. And then when, when the heat of the battle was wearing down, and the persuasions and the conversation started to happen, they noticed the body, the corpse of the hag there. And once they noticed it, then the Kosis just went into her like no tomorrow, and they ripped out her throat, and then they urinated yeah. all over her. And uh, so that was all happening by the time you guys were against the wall, and you guys were all watching this. And, and uh, what I tried to do is, as an intro to the session, I sent a little bit of, of a, some, a blurb in Discord to remind you that the Nikosi were over there. And then I, I also, because they were speaking Nurian all the time, I also sent a little bit of text to Oraki about hearing what, what they heard. And then we started up the session, and I looked at the map, and I remembered there's that oppressive air that prevents you from hearing anything more than 10 feet away. Yeah. And I was like, okay, Oraki, all that stuff I told you didn't happen because <laughs> you didn't hear a thing because they're 20 feet away from you, so you couldn't hear them. Ah, well. So the whole retcon buzz. Anyway. It's okay, because he just wiped it, and nothing he did indicated that he knew anything. So that, I mean, yeah, and that's he... the sign of a good player. When, when something happens that you shouldn't know, yep. that they can just... And he did, he did that, didn't he? He just turned around and he said, I didn't hear that. That was it. Nothing he did gave away that he heard yeah. it. So that's... I mean, and they're the kind of people you want to play with. Yeah. And so and at this time, though, at least two, you guys got to start to have a bit of conversation with Thoran. Now, Thoran's very clearly a quiet player at least this thus far he also has a has an issue in terms of his yeah the quality his, of what's coming out of him phone so is he's really he bad. could be incredibly loud but um his his it setup's not letting him be incredibly loud yeah I mean, he's, yeah he's fighting against it at all levels, and that's 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 one of those things unfortunate and the auto quality is just slightly off it is really hard to hear what people are saying but at my end, he was chopping out a, a bit too. Yeah. So that, yeah. that made it even yeah. harder. Yeah. Listening carefully, I was able to hear, but I was concerned that you guys weren't able to, to understand. But yeah, I mean, you guys, because there were some quiet spots and stuff like that, but it, it all worked out. And so you, you met him and you learned. I thought this was good because I, I muted him at one point because I needed to let you guys know that some of the things that he was talking about, and I made clear when I was telling him is that you've been here. You don't know, but you've been here. You've been frozen for 400 years. Mm. And then when I spoke to you guys, I muted him. I was like, okay, he, he's not aware of this yet. Like we, in developing his backstory, we were talking about the city of Roshkazi and all of this. And you're from Roshkazi. And why did you leave Roshkazi? And not once did I tell him that Roshkazi had been decimated by the dragons from Midgard hundreds of years ago. So I muted him and I made sure you guys, this is common knowledge for you guys. The, na yeah. the name of the city Roshkazi is, is synonymous with bad luck and misfortune 
because it was completely decimated. The, the heart of the Minotaur culture, which was from that city and another city, was destroyed. So he's not aware of that. And so I, I was really hoping that because he's not aware of that, I don't know if he's read the campaign settings. Maybe he is, but I was really just hoping to roleplay that stuff up. And so we tried to set that up. And he tried to give you a bit of information, and he told you that he was there to to find the items of power of Cabal hmm. and get rid of them. And you guys said something. This is one of those bits where completely unexpected, uh, unexpected. And of course, you were the the guy who initiated it. And you're like, "Let's follow the Nikosi and get the hell out of here." Yeah, <laughs> I've got, I, mean, I, mean, I, I got I'm, no spell slots. I need to go. And and I'm and the whole thing to me. I'm just sitting there going. We, this is the only chance we are going to ha- go anywhere with a, a, a hefty force. There are eight Nikosi, there's us, and outside we know there's a shitload of bad guys because we know the guy outside's crooked. We know that the, the creatures that he's running around with are going to kill us. So if we don't go with them all at the one time and there is a blue, we are going to come off second best for sure. Yeah, But we didn't. Well, well I, I mean, okay, you guys were, had to loot Saber and stuff, so you were a little bit late. But I liked that what you guys are doing. Like, I, you guys went up to the entrance, and I was just racking my brain. I was just sitting there thinking, well, yes, they can have the opportunity to do this. But the whole point of going here was related to Elbrum's backstory. Okay, how do I, what do I need to do? So while I was telling you, when you went out and were sneaking out and looking at, you seeing that a bunch of people had surrounded the, the were lions. Because it was unexpected for them. I mean, how else would they react? All of a sudden, yeah. eight wear lines come out of the pyramid that they're like, what? Yeah. How's this? So well, that's, how, yeah. how would they, why wouldn't they react with some kind of a military force being like, what's going on? So you spotted that. In the meantime, I was whispering to, to Elbrum in the Fantasy Ground chat window. I was like, remember why you're here. You can feel it pulling you still. And, and, and I was like, Sil is whispering in your ear because there's something going on that she too is feeling and she wants you to go downstairs. And then he played it so well. And this brings us to one of our points about this is the, this is players not talking to each other about something that's going on that's relevant to them and they don't tell their colleagues. And this is the issue that I have. This is the, the big issue that I have about this. And this is, this, in every game I've played, this has happened. There's been that, that conversation that's obviously occurred between the DM and the player and says, here's a bit of your backstory. Yep. And then the player has taken that to mean, regardless of what happens, I cannot tell anyone. Yep. And I look at that and think, okay, I can understand that you shouldn't tell anyone because that's, it's, it's your backstory. But then look at where you are and look at the environment that you're in. You're, we are, in this particular scenario, inside a pyramid there are four of us, but we've been working together for the last couple of weeks to try and achieve an outcome. And outside is an overwhelming force. We are inside a place. We know that everything inside is going to kill us. We haven't got a hope in hell. Our survival prospects are, you know, we've got a one in a million chance of survival and someone's keeping a secret from us. And in this yep. particular scenario, I'm going, let's get out of the pyramid. And everyone else is going, let's get out of the pyramid. And he says, oh, no. I need to stay here. And why do you need to stay here? I can't tell you. Yeah. And you see, this is one of those things, because like you and I, 
flies in the face of all logic, plausibility, would never, ever happen in the real world. Well, this is just it. You know, I have to sit there and wonder. I almost want... I. God, I, I think I should actually try to get uh, Oraki or Elbram and do an interview with them because you and I, clearly we think the same. We're like, I mean, I would be talking to them like, hey, guys, I'm, I feel something is that something is important to me and who I am about why I have these abilities. Something's pulling me here. I, I, I can't leave. I would, I would want to say this. Why other people choose not to, why they wouldn't, like, what is the the thought process behind not doing that? But there's I, a difference between. I mean, I, in this particular case, he's saying that there is something telling me that I must stay here. We've had scenarios where people have known bits of information in the past. For example, their father raped and pillaged an island or something, and in a scenario where they're about to be crushed to death by seventy three thousand dragons, the bloke doesn't bother to tell anyone this one little important fact. My father raped and pillaged this land of dragons. Yeah. And they keep that piece of information to themselves. Yeah. You wouldn't do that if you were in a prisoner of war camp. Yeah. You, well, there and, is... and when I, when you look at all of these scenarios that I can think of, in the real world, when you get to a situation where it is, you are the last two people left on a Himalayan mountain, the search has been abandoned, you don't hide things from other people because well, you figure you're going to die. I, I wonder if... What it might be is, is that, so there was a few scenes that we've had where, like, I remember I set up a scene where you guys were, when you had found Rahid's hideaway and you guys were on the river and you were preparing to stay the night in that warehouse where you found the Vril Stone, yeah. I kind of set up a scene where, oh, and as well, there was another scene as well when you guys met the, the laundry woman, the leader of the laundry woman, again, you're at the river where I had something happen with Elbrum that was meaningful to his backstory. And I wonder if, in his mind, so he knows that whatever I'm describing is definitely for him. But I wonder if he thinks that you guys are able to, maybe from his body language or from the way I'm describing, that you're able to intuit that this is important. But And I think that's probably a mistake. I think think the issue is that... uh... In this particular case, it was not about the choice between staying and going. And if we're going to stay, there's no reason for us to stay. There, there hasn't been a, you know, he's, he's come up and said, we have to stay. And you say, why do we have to stay? And he says, I don't know, we just have to stay. And you sort of think, that's really not going to cut it. I'd like a bit more. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, this, and, that's... and that's what we didn't get. Yeah, and in that case, it's absolutely true. Like, yeah. very clearly, you guys are wanting to go, and then he doesn't tell you. Wait a minute, wait. A minute. We yeah. stay because, and he's got a reason. Yeah. To, and he yeah. has a reason that he has to be here. But we've not heard. I had a dream. It came to me in the middle of the night. There was a note from my grandmother yeah. who died. The soothsayer said this, that, and the other thing. None of that occurred. It was just, yeah. I have to stay. When that happens, you get an out-of-character thing. I think it's out-of-character that he did that because in character, given the choice between escaping from a place that's going to kill you right, and, and going back in, you, you, would, you would always leave. Yeah. So that's out-of-character for him to yeah. deliver it the way he did without yeah. giving us some kind of explanation. And then we have to step out of character in order to allow the plot to continue to go. It was obvious that we had to stay because yeah. that's part of the plot. But from a role-playing point of view, I would say that 
we we stepped out of character to make it happen. Yeah. Well, and and here's the thing too is that you know I look at you, Elbrum and Oraki, and you've been through enough now that you guys you would have that sense of camaraderie from being through all of those experiences. Yeah. So now, of course, Thoran is new. Thoran yep. is just woken up. He's there's a couple things that you guys said that made him realize that he's been trapped for 400 years, but very clearly as well, the player who's doing Thoran, I think maybe just because he's new, but he's certainly not role-playing the point of, no, I don't care what you guys are doing. I'm here for a mission. Let, let's do this mission. When he did start telling you about his mission, and you guys, <laughs> Kalidus was like, Kowal's like a god. What are we doing? We can't defeat him. Let's, let's not do this. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. We just need to get his, the items of power. That's what I'm after, the items of power. No, we're not, we don't have to fight so I thought he did a good job there. So, I, I mean, I can understand some of the concepts that were going there. But at that instant, at the exit to the pyramid, yeah, I think in that case is one of those things where in character, out of character, there's that, I guess, the gap, right? And, you know. Yeah. And so that, and, and that then becomes the, the, the talking point, doesn't it? It becomes when you are given a piece of information that is related to your backstory, how much do you reveal... And how much do you just say, we have to do this if you're playing the game? And I think that, and, and I think that in the games that I've played so far, the player has never revealed enough of that particular piece of information. It is almost as though when the, when the DM says, this is part of your backstory, this is the secret bit, this is the bit that affects you directly... They don't turn around and tell the other players. They see it as being a secret between them and the DM and a contract, almost a contract, that they will not tell anyone, tell, tell people what's going on because somehow they believe that's going to upset the plot. It's also, there's a possibility too that like maybe this, this ties to the next thing which I was going to say is the, the player huddle while the NPC's looking on in that sometimes I get the feeling too that the players, now you guys did this really, really well even with the Kell brothers, when you guys went into that dressing room to have a conversation yeah. while Mistress Henna was kind of like, oh, okay, that's weird. Why not? You guys needed to have a huddle to have a discussion. Yes. This is one of those things where you're at a, like a, a cut scene type thing where you're watching stuff going on and it's it almost like you're in like an encounter mode. Like you got to say your piece during and after when it's your turn and so you don't have a conversation and it's like, well, why not? I mean, you guys are standing together. There's nothing wrong with having a huddled conversation to, to say, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Should we do this? Look, what? But in, in the other, okay, if, we, if you carry that forward, in, the, in real life, would you actually do that? So that the question, I guess, becomes, you are standing there, you are confronted by a large bunch of 10 mean, ugly, nasty people that are holding AK-47s. Do you turn around and, and step back five places and gather together in a, a NFL football huddle and yeah, have a conversation. I, I, and the I, answer I is you don't, you don't do that because, like, that looks as dodgy as anything. Okay. So, and, and you're right. There, the huddle should take place, but part of the role-playing is how do you get to the huddle? What, what how creative, do you role-play to, to, yeah, to get what into that scenario? What creative thing do you do yeah. in terms of that? Yeah. It could be someone faints and falls on the ground. It could be someone does drop something. Yeah, later it, that evening, you just uh, run away and hide. So late, later on Thursday night, I, I did another session for the Sleeper Island West Marches, and this was exa- almost an identical scenario in terms of 
players not talking to each other at all. So what, what I did was they had met their two paladins, very clearly wearing paladin gear. They had the holy symbol on. And behind the paladins, they, were, they had four bugbears in slave shackles around their necks. Yeah. And they were dragging them along, heading north. So the players went in there, and they went in to persuade, hey, can we um, buy those slaves off of you? And I was just like, they, these, the, the paladins want nothing to do with selling slaves. They just captured these bugbears. They're heading back to camp. Why would they sell them to you? So I, I was in NPC, so I didn't explain any of that. As the NPC, I was just like, no, I don't want to sell them to you. Why would I sell them to you? These are our slaves. We're, going back to our, we're heading back to our camp. The absolute silence that these guys had about what to do. Like, it was like a minute of complete dead air where they were like, they just didn't know what to do. And then one guy was like, I'd like to persuade them about potentially trying to buy. Can, <laughs> yeah. I, can I try a persuasion here? And I was like, all right. And he rolled really, really well. And I was like, okay, how am I going to spin this? Because he doesn't want to sell, but he's rolled a really good persuasion. So what I did was I was like, they took one, one of the bugbears out of the shackles. And with their lances, they poked him to go forward. And he, the, the, the big paladin pulled a dagger out, threw it on the ground. And he says, we can deal, but you have to kill that bear. You got to kill that bugbear. <laughs> and then we can talk. And so everything I did as that paladin was like com- complete racist, you know, racist things all about this, this situation. Very clearly, yeah. the paladins did not like the bugbears. The awkward silence that these guys had, not being able to have any conversation about this at all, not, not, not knowing what to do. And I understand, you're in a situation, can you have that huddle and have that conversation? I mean, in real life, would you say, just a second, we, we need to talk. Uh, I got to talk with them. Yeah, I, I understand. But this is one of those I, things that... I, and, in that's, like, and, and again, it's, it, it's quite scenario specific, isn't it? Because in that scenario, where you've come up and you've made the offer and said, can we buy one of your bugbears? And the guy has said, no, it would be perfectly acceptable for the four of you to get together and have a conversation in a huddle. And Yeah. yeah. Different to when someone's pointing an AK-47 at you. You yeah, that, just that, stand there true. with your hands in the air that's and go, true. no, not going to go there. That's true. So the, the silence in that scenario is, is, again... It was so funny, though, I have to admit. I, I was laughing behind the microphone because I was like... I wanted to create an awkward situation. I totally created an awkward situation. They totally didn't expect me to be like, kill him. <laughs> they didn't know what to do. They didn't want to commit, like, they're murder hobos most of the time. They're, like, they just finished Which killing is... off <laughs> six blood cultists who were, who were creating a storm out. So they'd just done that not long ago. And yet now when they're directly confronted with, you need to kill this thing. One guy was like, well, yeah, let's just kill him, you know, for the good of the many. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? You take the murder hobo and then you confront them with the opportunity to have a free kill and it's, no, I can't do that. (laughs) Ethics kicks in and go, I can't do that. Yeah. That's a fascinating scenario. That's a that's an interesting one to put to them, isn't it? Oh, and I I was enjoying sacrifice one for the many, you know, or just kill one because you can, and you get a free shot. Well, with Sleeper Island, I mean, it's it's always about the role. What does encounter bring? Now, the the mission scenario was you needed to do reconnaissance against the Yellow Bayou cult clan because it's been a long time since anybody's seen them. We all know that they're they're into bugbear slavery. Let's go and do some reconnaissance. We know that they're not far from the main town. Let's let's go do something. 
with Westmarch's style, they were having a bunch of encounters and things were going slow. Only got three hours, and I was just like, crap. I, I wanted them to meet this paladin. So it stormed out because the dice said it stormed out. So there's a storm. They huddled away. And I was like, well, they can't walk away with nothing. I've had way too many sessions where everybody walked away with nothing. So I hid some stuff in the place where they were huddling up to shelter yep. from the storm. And then when they came out of that shelter, walking on the, the, the road heading north was this caravan. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. And so I hadn't thought of, well, let's make them try to murder one guy and see what happens. But they were just, we want to buy, we want to buy. And there was so much awkward silence. And I was just like, well, let's escalate this awkwardness. And so I, I tried to put in something where it would be like completely socially wrong. But it's stuff that does happen. And then when you go back to this awkward silence scenario, there's, there is an issue about that, is that what do you do about the... Like, it's almost like you need to have a preconceived plan. What is it that we will do in order to have the huddle? What is going to be our nudge, nudge, wink, wink, let's have a conversation? And one way of doing it is to turn around and just say to the DM, oh, well, we're going to go over here and have a conversation. In which case you will either get cut off and say, well, that isn't going to happen. Yep. You move, you get shot. Yep. Or it'll be, yeah, that's fine, but yep. what's the pretense for it? Yep. And I think that that's the... It is something that, that you need to be aware of. And, and interestingly, within the game that we're currently playing and the quality of the players that are in it, that that's the kind of thing that you would look at and say, okay, well, from here on in, it would be very easy to turn around and say, well, as a DM, if we have a conversation, and you've done it a few times, had conversations where we're not in a huddle, we're just simply having the conversation out loud, yep. we get called on it. Yep. And we got called on it in this, in the further on into the game that we're playing. Yeah. You called us on it. Yeah. Well, and and I, mean, I think that's a good thing. I think we should be called on it. To me, I, I, I try hard to, to just take it from the NPC's point of view. And if things are getting a little bit out of hand, I will always have the NPC's saying something mm. and it'll be in character saying something just to try to bring you guys back. But yeah, yeah. All things said and done at the end of the day, you guys were at the exit. Elbrum, ha he, he got this feeling still silhouette. His pixie familiar was saying, yeah. we, we need to stay. And so he's like, guys, I can't leave. I can't leave. And so Calidus so was just like, this is horseshit. <laughs> what do you mean? We can't leave. We got to go. And, but I mean, you knew that there was a bunch of giant scorpions that had surrounded the Nicosi. And I, I was curious. At that point, like I said, you guys shocked me about we're going to leave. I had not expected that at all. And I was just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So, I mean, it, it we, made logical... We, we, have, we have, like, it has become clear, and there was a conversation a few weeks ago where it has become clear that in the face of overwhelming force, we are not going to stay. Yeah. And you'd confronted us with that once before, yep. and where, you know, your killer hobo group goes out there and says, yeah, that's fine, I'm going to yep. fight. Yep. We, we just decided we're smarter than that. We're yep. not going to stay where we can't, where we, we can be put in a situation where we haven't got a hope. And also, we're going to run if we start getting out. Yeah, yeah, if of we course. get overwhelmed, and it makes we will run. Sense. Absolute sense. And the thing is, is when I did tell that to Elbrum, I was just like, you still feel that there's some, something's pulling you from below. His response was, guys, I think we've got to go into the Tuscully hole. And I was just like, no, <laughs> not the Tuscully hole. So I was like, silhouettes, like, 
in his air album no no it's not the Tuscali hall album <laughs> where but again when that came out it was where's the Tuscali hall because we haven't found the Tuscali hall yeah you did remember in the so you guys before you went into the chamber where you caused the sand to come down from the ceiling and then album dived in the room just before that the door was shattered yeah and you walked in there and and there was shelving was falling down on that yeah. one and the shelves oh, over here okay. were okay and at the back end there was a huge hole in the ground that you all recognized as being a Tuscali hole. Oh, okay. Did we go down that? We didn't no, go down No, you that. never did. You guys, you hardly investigated that room at all. You mm -hmm. guys were all so nervous that you got out of there. So, you know, it was so funny because the treasure room That's right. and the, the whole room were side by side. You're like, let's get out of there, but let's go over here and check this out. And I was just like, the logic that <laughs> behind this is just hilarious. But still, I, I, that had been probably one of my most favorite things that you guys did was... When you're trying to test for trap, you take your, I'm going to take my pouch of sand and I'm going to drop it there and see yes. if it triggers the pressure plate. And I'm just thinking, the pouch of sand is less than a pound. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a lack of understanding of what the pouch of sand was for. Yeah. So I was thinking of the, the, the theatrical sandbag yeah. and going, why am I carrying around a six kilo pouch of sand? What a waste of time. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's three grams. So. But even then, you, you said, well, let's use the flail head. And then this was like, okay, well, you're going to throw it. Yeah, so you have fun. to do a check. And you you rolled miserably. So you went to throw it and <laughs> basically fell down at your toes, nearly yes. barely missing your toes. And you're like, okay, today my strength is not what it should be. And so I think, was it you that kicked it in frustration and it went flying across the floor yeah, to hit the, much. the wall? Yeah, And I was something. like, nothing happened. All right. Calidus walks in. He walks in. He triggers all the plugs in the ceiling pop off, and it yeah. starts filling with sand. So Calidus is like, I'm jumping out of there. Okay, dexterity check. 20. You are definitely jumping out of there. And he's like, and Elbrum's going to help me. And Elbrum's like, Elbrum's not helping you. Elbrum's jumping in. And I was like, what? I still have 28 days of sand breathing. I'm okay. And that was... He's such a good player, isn't he? Because that oh, was he's like hilarious. right on top of that. I can breathe yeah. in the sand. Yeah. Boom, off he goes. And I was just like... Oh, man, that was good. That was really good. That I was, like, was just fine. Yeah, yeah why fine. not? Yes, of course, you be you can breathe in sand, but as soon as the sand gets up to here, you can breathe in sand. It doesn't mean you can move through sand because the river no. of sand is something different. It's not like a room filled of sand. A river of sand you can swim in uh, yeah. just by the nature of what that river is. Yeah, it became clear that he's going in there and we have to get the door open. So. Yeah, yeah. But that's all right. Anyway, we, we've come back from where we were. Yep. So, yes, you, you left the exit because now you're following Elbrum and you decide you're going to search the pool. And, or no, no, you guys went into the other area and you seen the skeletons standing over the corpses of Tuscali. And they were just all, laying no, there. Before we did that, we opened the door. We found, we, we opened the, the door upstairs. No, you guys. Oh, no, did we go there and come back, did we? You went and you looked and then you were like, no, we're not going to go down there because oh, you no, guys were worried. True, yeah. Yeah. You guys didn't even look. It was only Elbrum that looked and was like, I've seen these skeletons. Once right. was this. Because the Nikosi yeah. had mentioned to you about the shark, the shark man, to be careful yes. of the shark man. And yes. so, of course, one of the skeletons was the shark skeleton. Yeah. So you guys, I assume that was part of the reason why you didn't go. Elbrum set, went yeah. in. He's seen it. He told you guys. So you guys went back towards the pool. That's right. And you searched through the pool area. And you found the words written on the bottom of the pool. And and then you went. We couldn't back. read them though. 
It, we were unable. We didn't know. Foreign was able to read them. Oh, was he? Because it was in it was in primordial. So he he speaks primordial. So he was able to read them. I can't recall what they said. I hope I typed it. Yeah, I hope so too. Notes. And I'm not saying why. <laughs> but um, then you guys went back to the rainbow room, or at least you went back to the rainbow room. Yeah. And Calidus knew stuff just because. <laughs> Calidus, invoked, Calidus was aware Cal of stuff, so Calidus, Calidus solved Calidus, that problem. Calidus invoked invoked the. I solved it the last time I played it. <laughs> it took thirty seconds last time round. It was so obvious it wasn't funny. Yeah. This will be exactly the same. Yeah. I was stunned that that puzzle was so easy the first time I did it. That yep. that the others. Couldn't, couldn't couldn't grasp it. Couldn't grasp I, it. I loved how you role played it up because you're like, I'm going to take the water and I'm going to go around to each torch. And I was just like, Oh, well done, Mick. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, no, I didn't realize that there were. The, I didn't know because in, it, it hadn't come out when I came back that the scarabs were on top of the, That's right. the table. So That's right. to That's me, right. it was okay. Clearly, it's going to be the same thing. It's and it was all about the order yep. in yep. which you well and that, do the thing. thing. And it was like, okay, torch in and out of the. That's it. There was no receptacle for it to go on and then as soon as you, you said that there was a scarab on top of it oh okay there are seven seven scarabs on there yeah okay fine it's the yeah well the funny thing was too is that when you weren't there when they first came into the room Elbrum's like trying to remember he, he the player who was doing Elbrum he couldn't remember the colors of the rainbow and Oraki <laughs> stayed in character and Oraki's like where did you grow up? How could you not know the colors of the rain? It was so good. It was oh. so brilliant. Like the two of them, they're such good players. So I, I really enjoy having them and I, I are, hope that we keep them. Yeah, they are exceptionally yeah. good. So it, it was pretty funny just listening to them go on about how could you not know the colors of the rainbow? And he's like, well, he just had no answer. It was, it was really good. But yes, yeah, so you came back and the pyramid started to shiver. This Calidus is like, Cobell's coming, Cobell's coming. That's it. We're all dead. Yeah, and again, we go back to the and me still pushing the we're all going to die. Yep. Yeah. And it, and to me, and I don't, I'm not sure how far we got in the previous game, but I have a feeling that this is about where we all ended up getting turfed out of the, getting killed or turfed out of the pyramid or something, and that we did let Kobala out of the coffin. And that was like, yeah, now's the time to run away. Yep. And to me, this was the same thing again. Yep, right. We've opened the big door. He's out. Now we're in trouble. Yeah, because in, in the last time when you guys, I had the Tuscali, they were also interested in getting that room. So as soon as you guys managed to open up the room, even though yeah. the wall of fire happened, the Tuscali came through the wall of fire. Yeah. And yeah. they ended up providing you guys with inadvertent aid. And Jenny and Ondorth did just ridiculously stupid things. But yeah. still... But it, and again, if you put this in role playing and look at this, the when you hear the noise, you know that something's happened, and it is, yeah. Well, here we are. Not only have we come back when we shouldn't have come back, we've now made it even worse by opening a big door somewhere in the building, and we have no idea what's behind yeah. it. But a fairly good guess is going to be that it's going to be well. And I, hats off though to you, Mick, because at the end of the day, I sit there and think about how. Oh, Mick is going to want to go down to see if I've changed anything down below and see what's up. So, but no, anything, Mick stays in character. Is like I've got no spells, guys. I want out. Let's yeah, get the it, hell out of here. And as long as I have no spells, yeah, my 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 position is always going to be I've got no spells. It's time to leave. Yeah. Although I'm thinking about where we are now. Well, we'll continue on from there after we after we'd heard the rumblings, and by this time the Nicosia well had truly gone. We know that something's happened somewhere else. Yep. 
and we go wandering back to the skeleton men. And you guys did good. Like, I know Elbum rolled a really crappy arcana check, so I gave him very minimal information. And, and then, of course, Kalos comes up to look. And he's just like, well, I want to see if I... And I was like, and you rolled really well. I was like, you know that there's necromancy involved here. You know that these things have been animated. And everybody's just standing back as this, this, these things are there. And so you were like, well, I'm going to cast Mage Hand. And everybody's like, you're Vril Stone, you're Vril Stone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so you put the Vril Stone yeah. down on the ground. You cast Mage Hand. And you start poking at the skeletons. And I was just like, that is some good thinking. And they didn't move. So, of course, Callus went out down there, and Elbrum's like, Callus, no! And then no, you'd walk past them, walk and past. he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so they, if they're not going to animate when I poke them, then that's it. Yeah. And I did, I did contemplate the, what happens if you do cast Mage Hand with a real stone? Does it mean that when you go to poke them, you just shatter them into a million pieces? What ah. can go wrong with a Mage Hand? Yeah, yeah. And that's up to I, me I to can, I can pick the fly up come up with something. Yeah. And I was, I was sitting there and I'm thinking, yeah, that'd really challenge him. So the next time I cast <laughs> Mage Hand, it's going to be with the real stone in my hand. That puts you on the spot. You've got to think of, like, what can that actually do? <laughs> instead of Mage Hand it punches appearing. punches a hole in a wall three miles away. Or instead of Mage Hand appears, it's Mage Foot. <laughs> yeah. And you can't manipulate anything. Yeah. Or that, that could it's be Mage it. Hand without fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it could be. Yep, that'll work. Any of those, any of those above scenarios will work. Fine. Yeah, but uh, so you guys got past, and eventually you come around the corner, and Elbrum looks down at the end of the corner. And I, I did have to admit, I liked that when you guys were like, because the Minotaur, the Minotaur, I thought that he didn't have dark vision, but he did. But anyways, you cast light on him, and we're like, well, where do you want the light to be? And he's like, on my tongue. I so thought that, that was magnificent. I thought that, that is such was, a brilliant. Yeah, that, that so I could quick. just, and I was just like. Yeah. So he's walking around with his tongue hanging out so he can see. And, and I was just like, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Close your eyes, you're in the dark. Way to go. So Elbrum looks around the corner and he's got his mouth closed so the light doesn't come. I should say something about how his, light glow, his mouth glows. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he sees a woman at the end of the hallway who's, and I said britches because in my mind thinking britches is underwear. And they're no. like, oh, he's just in her pants. I was like, oh, right. Okay, britches is not underwear. So yeah, she's in her underwear. She's in her lingerie. And I really wanted to see if you guys would figure out that, because I've been having you guys do constitution checks because of the heat. So I, was, I, was, I wanted to see what you guys would come up with that, and uh, that really led to nothing. So I was like, ah, well, that was a waste of a description. But anyways, you met Nakwa and Rackham. I don't think that anyone sort of figured out the oppressive thing. It's there, but it's, it's almost as though... When you remind us that it's oppressive, we do something about it rather than we just every every three turns we go and go, yeah, okay, it's time to well, it does respond to that. And this is this is this does actually become one of those issues. I was thinking about it this morning. Is that the next part that we're going to talk about is what you can see and what gets described to you? Yeah. And in in this case, the oppressiveness is what can you feel and what can you hear? And unless it continually gets re- reinforced the player will have a tendency to yes. to respond and forget. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's just it. Like, even I keep forgetting, and it's just like, okay, remember 10-foot, 10 10-foot 10 radius, because yeah. you guys can only hear within that 10-foot sphere. Yeah. What would that mean? Because the only good thing is, is like, what I keep always remember is that I've got a really good nose, so I'm going to do a lot of my perception checks with my nose. Yeah. Because that's, yes, clearly you smell stuff going on. 
So that that has been working to your benefit. But you're so so often you're like, what do I hear? What do I hear? And all of a sudden you you can't hear anything. And yeah, so yes, and, and, and we continue. Right. I, I reinforce that all the time, and because... we make comments to each other, and they, and they get through. Yeah, and well, it, gets it, it gets yeah, forgotten. It gets forgotten all the time. Forgotten. Yeah, so I think. And again, I, I guess if you look at it and say in terms of how good are we as players, then this demonstrates one of those things is that a, a really, really good player will then be aware of the surroundings that have been described to them yep. and will respond accordingly. Yep. So it would be things like I would say something to Elbram who's 15 feet away and then wonder why he didn't respond and then it would dawn on me, hang on, he can't he didn't hear, hear a thing. Yep. Yeah, so that, that, that's how I should play it rather than yep. just say it and see what happens. Yeah. yeah and anyway, there's these... It's a challenge to do. Like the thing is, too, is like remembering people who don't have dark vision. Trying to be on top of that. I remember another session it was nighttime out. I guess this was Sleeper Island, and the guys are like that. And it's like there was an encounter going on, and everybody who had dark vision had went over there, and the guy who didn't have dark vision was left here. And his turn came about. I was like, "Yeah, you you don't know what's going on. You can hear stuff going on over there, but you can't see anything at all." Hmm. And he's just like, and he did well. He's because he's like guys. Guys, I can't see. Yeah. <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> so uh, uh, trying to remember things like as a GM, remembering, okay, it's an oppressive thing. They've got a 10-foot hearing mm. sphere. Make sure they're – no, you don't hear Make, anything. Yeah, yeah. You don't hear and anything. pull them up when they don't, yeah. when, they, when oh, that happens. Calidus just walked out of things. You, you, you're yelling. He didn't hear you. He didn't yelling. hear a thing. Yep. So and I, that does change things. And this is one of those things when you're looking at a battle map and moving tokens on the battle map – and it's that, that visual aid where it's always like, okay, theater of the mind can only go so far. Mm. And suspension of the bleak can only go so far. Because you realize that, well, I've gone off, and you're like, I've got a purpose to going off. These guys can't hear a thing. And eventually you just come back because would you come back when you can't hear? How long would it take before you're like, oh, wait a minute, I can't hear my, my companions? Do you turn around instantly? Or do you keep going having forgotten no, that you I can't think, hear? I think, I think you... You walk, and then you. There's that sense when you're walking that there's someone behind you, and it's either from yeah. it's from feeling the footsteps or they're touching yeah. you as you go along. Yeah. And I don't think you'd get very far no. before you'd turn around and go, yeah. "Oh my god!" They but that's the part is when you're looking and, at the battle map, they're still there, and so you don't. So you just keep on going because yeah. you, you know that that thing. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it is a challenge. GM has to keep reminding, and I know that so often that the whole. It's dark, you can't see and stuff. That comes mm. up so often. I was just in another session and I didn't have dark vision and I kept forgetting as well when it was nighttime, like I shouldn't be able to see this. Yeah. And the GM, do they completely rely on the players for being honest and going down that road or do they have to do the reminders? It's, it's that It's balance. interesting because we can now segue nicely into fantasy ground before we come back. Yeah. And you can segue into fantasy ground and say, with the advent of the Unity engine where the player's vision will be determined by what yeah. they can see, yeah. then what do you do about the history? Yeah. Because right now when you un unfog, uncloud yeah. the map, well, when, the, you, the, when you reveal the map as you go along, yeah. the players can see where they can go. Yeah. But if I was rewriting Fantasy Ground, I would turn around and I would say, well, depending on the intelligence or the wisdom of the player, I would actually fog the map over time yeah. to represent what they've forgotten well and, that, and that's the funny thing too because like i i was just watching a video from roll 20 where they were doing because so, it's right there's dynamic lighting and then there's fo 
fog of war. Yeah. And that's, that's, they, they were just talking about how they just released the fog part. And I was watching. It was really neat. So as dynamic lighting with whatever their light source was as they walked around, they could see more. But what ended up happening was if they visited that area yeah. and they walked out with their sphere of light, their sphere of light would follow them, but that area would gray. So you could still, they could still see the stuff, but it would all be gray. So you knew that you'd been in that area. Yeah. But the other thing was is that if there was an encounter in that area, if the creatures were there, so when you're there with your dynamic lighting, seeing them, you see them. Yeah. But when you move out of that area, they disappear. So the, the, their tokens aren't even there. It's just yeah. you just see that you'd been in that area. And I was like... So that represents what your mind remembers of that area. Yeah. But there is also the other part about it is I remember that. But over time, I will forget that. Yeah. And if you think about it, if, That's you, were actually, walking, yeah. if you were walking through a castle yeah. or if you were walking through a maze, yeah. then you would remember where you'd been. But and that's over, over a very short period of time, you will actually forget it. So, yeah. And that will be dependent on the attributes of the person walking through the maze. Yeah, and, and that's, that's actually a fantastic idea, like... From the player point of view, you can set up dynamic lighting. Okay, you got a sixty-foot light source, blah blah blah. But also, oh, look at you their intelligence, and well. all of a sudden, that is, yeah, that's brilliant. One of the attributes from one of the characters I played was that they were able to recall. Yeah, the wanderer's uh, feat or trait was it? Yeah, I yeah, can't yeah, remember yeah. who it yeah. was, but one of the characters was. Yeah. yeah, so they therefore wouldn't have this. This they would know, never once it's been revealed, that's it. They know it. Well. And, and the same thing with, with Minotaurs. They have something called Labyrinthian Recall, which allows them... So the yeah, Wanderer... so that would be it. I think the Wanderer feat is that it allows you to recall things, like do well on maps. I don't think it allows you to remember the, the minute details, whereas the Labyrinthian Recall does. Yeah, yeah the, the one that I had was a specific feat that said yeah. that you can actually recall where you've been and how to navigate to and from. Yeah, yeah. So, I think it's wonderful. Um, you, you may not remember what was there, but you can yeah. go from A to B yeah, without, yeah. without any trouble whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and something so that, about being able to find uh, food along the way as well, right? No, so no, you this could, was just no. purely hmm. purely about map reading and hmm. map recall. Right. And so when, and which when you think about Fantasy Ground from that point yeah. of view, is from a programmatic point of view, is not a difficult feat to, yeah. to bring in where it comes to the... The ability to do the shine a light on where I'm going, but that, that you, to me, it's that, easy to fog out a map as well. And that, that sounds like to me that's like I, as the player, I log into the server. It is the client side of it which recognizes, okay, I'm loading up this character with these stats, so the client yeah. will react to any map that the GM reveals, and that's in how it react. And, and the GM doesn't have to do anything. Like, and I, I love yeah, the idea too. Even right. out here in the woods would be the same. So the, as far as the map goes, you know, the GM buys a module, the maps are all prepared, he just throws down a map, puts your tokens down, and then it's, it's your character with their abilities that reveals more on that map. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that would be a great leap forward. And that means that when we look at, say, the West Marches match, yep. where you, you see a map of a, a huge area, yep. and it shows all of the features of it, cliffs, mountains, yep. rivers, and streams, you really don't want to, you want to un revel at 60 feet at a time yeah. rather than the whole map yeah and it, it also does mean that if you've got this is like my favorite one of my favorites was the fact that i had a familiar that was an owl and the whole and i love the idea of having an owl send an owl up 60 feet reveal yep. a whole map that's terrific yep 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 that then gives you especially in, even of, in the dark time the, yeah, the, worries, dark, they've got, the whole thing what yeah. do they have they had like a ridiculous line of sight like, or yeah, something. yeah yeah but, see from miles 
the thing is for me that does that and to me that's like if fantasy ground gets to that stage that'll that, be a huge and the thing is, is that, that is all about the characters and, and it, i love the idea because when you think about a narrative story and how the battle maps are just a big portion of that story a lot of it is theater of the mind like I, i've watched plenty of of things that, like the saver dice stuff they're doing fantasy ground and there's not much you don't see much of the battle map unless it actually yeah. becomes a lot still remains a lot of the theater of the mind but when all of a sudden you as a player are presented with that the interaction between you and the other players from the point of view of i can't see what what do you guys see i need a light source guys i need a torch yeah that becomes so much more reactive yeah. and it takes that away from the the gm having to be on top of that that being said though comparing fantasy ground with roll 20 where roll 20 does that I still prefer Fantasy Grounds from the point of view of all the automation that it does to remove the need to do all the math behind dice rolls. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so if you want a Divine absolutely. Smite, you just drop the Divine Smite onto your character. It rolls, and it just takes care of everything. And it's, and done. You, it's yeah. done. You don't have to be like, oh, what is that? Is that 2d8 or is it 3d8? It's, oh, but I'm at this level. and ah, da, 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 da. As long yeah. as you've got the effect there, it's like, okay, I hit. I'm going to put Divine Smite on it. I use my spell slot. Boom! Damage five d eight. Wow! And all of a sudden, that character's that that yeah. NPC's uh, totes. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't swap one for the other. Yeah. yeah. Moment, Again, it comes back to this is yeah, just means, when you look forward. When they get there, that'll yeah. Be, that'll be great. At the moment, it means that I have to be more on top of things like what can they see, what can they hear, which is fine because that's been the way it is yeah. for a long time. And when that does come about, that'll be great. But I'm not, I'm not going to go and move to roll twenty because of that. And lose all of that automation. No, no, automation. You'd, you'd, not... stay with, you'd stay with Fantasy Ground for sure. For, for the time being, yeah, for sure. But yeah. now we'll segue back to the hallway where Elbrum is currently confronted by an attractive yeah. young lady in her underwear. Well, and this is the thing too, is I tried to paint this up for Elbrum as being attractive because he's, had, he's played his character quite a bit of always trying to help out the ladies. Yes. He's done that often with a lot of the other well. NPCs. So... From his point of view, I tried to point it out is that you think that this, this girl is really, really hot. And I haven't had the opportunity yet, and I'm probably going where I shouldn't be, uh, but she's not that good looking. But he thinks she is. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's okay. And we, we are now making Elbrum the ladies' man, the Elvis yeah. Presley or, yeah. or the Johnny Depp of, of our crew, yeah. which is good. And he's quite casual about it, so that works well. And I, I love how you but, guys are like, oh, there's a lady. Go, Elbrum. Off go. you go. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do your thing. That's fine. Let us know how it works out. Yeah. Yeah. But in this particular scenario, that was our motivation was really, we did push him ahead because if someone's going to die, this is his lunatic idea. He's going to be the one to die. You're out front. Yep. So he's come up the stairs and he's rounded the corner and he's met Raheem. Raheem? No. So it was Raheem. He's seen the woman and then he went to go and talk to her. She then noticed him. And takes off running. Yeah. And then all of you guys come and you slowly move forward into the southern room. And eventually you see you see a part of the wall that, you, I mean, you were able to, to as you came in, to identify that the, there was an opening in the wall that was very clearly not a door, but it had to have been a secret door. And as you went further, you seen a man there who was just wearing a cloak and his underwear, just the same as Nakwa. His name was Rakim. 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 Yeah. So you met Rakim and Nakwa. And he was in this room with this obelisk, and the obelisk. There was yeah. the four statues around the obelisk, and explained all of that. And he's really interested in the items of power. And he's quite, I, he, I, he comes across he comes across as quite 
aggressive and untrustworthy. Really? Yeah, because when we first met him, it was like there was no, oh, thank God you've come to save me. It's what were you here for? There was a, he was very yeah, abrupt. He was like, because so, he was like, ah, has yeah. he sent some and, more and, people? And interesting hmm. too that, that there's, I think there was a disconnect in the game so far because at one stage early on, the Cobol, we had the guards, the Knoll. Guards, there were four of them. The the four gnolls had been sent by Hazi. They came yeah. with two, what they called two acolytes, and there was they had three come, others that were dead. Did they? Did they? They hadn't. We didn't know they'd come with two acolytes. We no, you did. We were asked, "Where are the acolytes?" Yes. So to me, this is where the disconnect comes. Ah, yeah, yeah. He said, "I've been with the gnolls," and it's like, hang on a minute, they're asking, "Where are the acolytes?" So we didn't get. So these guys were with the original set. Well, we haven't got that. We didn't. We did, so we haven't actually unravelled as to why they've separated. We also haven't unravelled as to how the messages are getting sent back and forward from this place. I'm telling you, interwebs, listening to Mick now figure stuff out is, yeah, is so is, much fun. This is the brain going, yeah, and the guys have gone off and said, I want some more acolytes. And then how did the message get out? And why are these guys trapped in here with no food and no water? And, yep. How does all that work? Yep. So, I'm, again, and, and it, this is interesting because I sit here on a Saturday because we do this on Saturdays, folks, because we've got nothing better to do with our lives. And I'm sitting here on Saturdays unraveling what's going on because during the game, my job is actually to type out <laughs> what happens in the previous games to gather it all together while playing the part as well. So I don't get a lot of time for thinking about what goes on. So it's actually the recaps on Saturdays yep. that bring the whole thing together for me. And I tell you, if you're a player and you are playing a game like this with a DM, there is nothing better than sitting down and going over what happened step by step because a whole lot of stuff that you missed well, uh, during the game, you actually pick up on going like, hang on a minute, how did they send the messages? And why are these acolytes here? Because he was told yep. they were looking for them. So clearly they've been together before. Yep. That means the acolytes are probably as crooked as he is. So they're on the wrong side. Don't uh, know. All of this stuff. You guys got to figure that out. The nice thing too is that what you said about taking notes is that at this session, just before session started, just before you connected, Elbrum was like, hey guys, I've got this Google Doc I'm sharing where I'm going to put all these. We need to be putting our notes of who's who because I'm starting to lose track. Yeah. And so at the very beginning, he's just like, this is worse than a George a George Martin novel. The the guy who wrote um, yeah, what is that famous show uh, Game of Thrones? He's like, there's so much going on. I can't. We need to write this stuff down. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in in what could be described as one of the dumbest things ever, he's created a Google Doc and then told our friendly DM who was sitting with me about it, who sent me a link. Yep. And so yesterday, having received the link, I dumped all of my notes. Yep. I dumped my character's backstory. backstory. That, that's good for six pages. I dumped the spreadsheet that I was maintaining of NPC contact, which I stopped maintaining about six weeks ago. So it gets yeah. up to a certain point and it just goes dead. And yep. that was after it had about 30 or 40 people that we contacted and what they're about. Yep. The mission statements, the things that we've discovered and uncovered, that stopped after about week four. By the time we'd got to week four, I probably had about 12 things, 12 tasks that we had to go yeah. and hunt down. Yeah. And I'd just given up at that point in time. 
if if you if I had I maintained those last two items, we probably would have come across about fifty NPCs so far, and there would be probably about forty threads that we still could go hunting down. Yep. I can only say that, you know, if you if you if you are sitting in the game that we are in, it is never dull. Yeah, I mean well and at the end of the, I mean it is a challenge to 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 make the threads meaningful and there's nothing better than when you guys finally put something together. I mean that's why I was really enjoying as you were trying to figure out, wait a minute, wait a minute. They did mention the acolytes. Wait, what's this mean? So I'm not gonna say, but anyway, I it's that's nothing gives me more pleasure than, than you guys starting to figure stuff out. And yeah. it's not that I try to make elaborately complex stories. When you're running a module, they give you a little bit and then, and then you just take that. And sometimes some things might threads might be together and sometimes not. And, and then for me, cause I know you've been here. So what do I need to change up? So mm. I've added a few things and, mm. and thought about, okay, what was, what was going on there? And, I just describe stuff as you see and as your roles dictate, and then it's up to you guys to try to put together what's going on. And it's, it's interesting because the threads, those questions about what's happening in here, are nothing compared to all the other stuff that's happening in the outside world. Yeah, back in town, there's still dozens of things that we could. Well, and we this could is go the thing too: we could go and chase down. How many sessions have we done now in the pyramid? And and the reality is, is the wow. like four or five sessions in the pyramid, yeah. and that's five weeks. But in essence, it's only been less than. Well, I'm not going to say how many hours Half it's an been, hour, but an hour, something still. Like that. Yeah. Anyway, so, so we've wrapped wrap the things corner. up. There's the obelisk. There's yep. Rakim. Yep. You've, you see the statues, statues in the corner. Bunch of history checks to try to find some relationship. And, and I was glad yeah. someone was like, can I, can I remember something about these images? And I was like, yes. In fact, yes, Calidus, with that role, you do remember that the falcon-headed warriors, you've seen that image in the rainbow room, and you've seen it on the sarcophaguses. Yeah. And well, what does that mean? Well, you guys have to figure that stuff out. Yeah. So we've got that. We've got some indentations at the bottom of it. Yep. We've sent the pixie up to have a look at the top because there was something glowing in the dark up there. And you've seen the dagger and a key. And a dagger and a key. Which you can't get out. Which we can't get out. And then Oraki and, and Thorin, who are both above six feet tall. So Oraki, the female gnoll, climbed up on the, the minotaur's shoulders reached up there and she tried to yank it out and she couldn't get it out either. So, And I, I have to wonder, you were asking some specific questions because I tried to describe when you poured water on it. So I tried to describe what did the yeah. water look like when you poured on it to give you perhaps an idea of what kind of stone it was and then where did the water go and try to make you guys think about certain things, but yeah. who knows if that worked. I'm, this, is, this is the memories coming back to me, but I can't use it. I know what the answer is. Yeah, I know. And I know how I know well, how it unravels. I hope you do. I hope I can't, you do because I've changed some things, so it'll be well, interesting yeah, to see. I, I know what's supposed to happen, and we can say what's supposed to happen because no one's going to hear this between now and then. Yep. But what is supposed to happen is that the what do you call it? The obelisk, the obelisk will, will go down. Will go ground. down into the ground. Yep. And that will release the yep the key, which wasn't there last time, and nope. it will release the dagger. Yep. Which is there this time. Yep. How we achieve that goal, I don't remember last time round. Yep. But it had something to do with the... I thought from the last time round, we actually took the heart out of one of the statues and we took we took a component off each of the statues and placed it on the base. And that Those were other statues. Here. Those weren't the obelisks. Those well, they, were the statues in front else, of yeah. the door. So at this point in time, I, I put that there. I haven't told the guys. I gave them a bit of a hint yep. by knocking on the base of the statue that they would figure out that it disappears into the ground. 
Yeah, I don't think anyone picked up no, on I that. No, I don't think they picked it up. And I thought I should stop there. Yeah, I, I, that, I actually wouldn't have done that if it hadn't been for the fact that they didn't. If they'd unravelled the the water and the going down into that, no, I don't no, think they saw it. No, if they'd unravelled the the rainbow one, if they'd figured that one out, which I was surprised at, I, I would have. I wouldn't even have hinted at this one. I'm, and so I thought, well, I'll give this one a hint and see what happens. But now, I, even I don't know the solution to this one. I have no idea how to make the obelisk go into the ground. It'll become obvious as we go on. Yep. Something will, will be found or will be seen, and, well, and, and, and it'll be done. This will be one of those areas where, at the end of the day, I've got to... I can't stop and make it so stiflingly difficult. This is something we talked about before. The expectation that characters have to solve the problem because they're supposed to be intelligent. No, 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 no. You've got skills. You've got skill checks that you can use. I won't be like, oh, well, I tried my investigation check, so he can't try. No. If you want to try, go ahead and try. You know, because at the end of the day, like, if you've got a, a, a proficiency in investigation and he doesn't, okay, so it means you've got a better chance of finding things, but it doesn't, doesn't stop him from trying. No. Now, if there was, like, a medicine check in order to stabilize someone, and it was between you who've got proficiency and he who doesn't have proficiency, and you're trying to stabilize this guy, well, clearly the guy who's got proficiency really ought to be doing it because the other guy has a better chance of sticking his finger into something and actually aggravating the death. And in the real world, if, if you are confronted by something that you see, yep. you would, in this scenario... Everyone would be looking at the obelisk going, what's going on, what's going yep. on? So they'd yep. all, in essence, be doing a, an investigation check. Yep. In the same way that perception works too. Yep. And, and you're right. The fact that one person doesn't succeed doesn't mean the others can't do it. Yep. I think that that might also be a, an issue with a lot of players that I've played with before. Yep. That they, one person having done something, yep. they don't attempt to do the same thing. And yep. initially, that's my under. That's how I thought it was to be played. Yeah. So when I go back to when I was young, ha-ha, and, and first playing, I, I thought that if someone did an investigation or a arcana check, then that was it. You couldn't do another one. Yeah, because a lot of people, a lot of GMs will, do, will absolutely not allow another one. To me, that, that comes down to it's a story. You, you need the story to go forward. And I actually got a really good compliment from Elbrum and Oraki last week because we were chatting after the session, and I was like, guys, I just need to let you guys know that I really appreciate what you guys are doing because, I mean, you guys are really good players. You, you role play so well. And they were like, yeah, you you make us do all these skill checks. And the other games we play, you know, you don't do it very often. I was like, oh, you, do you mean I'm, I'm giving too many? I was like, oh, absolutely not. I love that you're asking me to do skill checks because it makes it so much more sense. My abilities actually have meaning in your game. Yeah. And I was just like, well, it's a little bit shocking because, you know, hey, at the end of the day, not every GM is the same. There's a lot to the game. Everybody has their own style. But for me, it's I want the story to continue. I want you guys to win. If you're going to do something incredibly stupid, you will die. I mean, that's, that is a that's fact of life. But I do want you guys to win. And if you are imaginative and creative, like, for example, so in that session on West Marches where they, the guy's like, kill this guy, eventually one guy's like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to pick up the dagger. I'm going to cut my hand so that it's bleeding really well. I'm going to fall into the bugbear, yeah. smearing the blood all over where I'm going to pretend to stab him, yeah. and I'm going to whisper to him, 
pretend that you're dead. And I was just like, there you go. Very good creative. And I was like, you can have advantage on the deception roll, but then the acrobatics rolls, because you'll be two acrobatics rolls about stumbling into to make this happen and then making him fall prone. Those ones won't be at advantage. So deception roll, and it worked out well. The advantage on deception, he got like an 18, and the other two acrobatics were both above 15. So I was like, yeah, you absolutely, it works. Absolutely to the T. And as he's falling, he's he's just like, save us, please. And, <laughs> and it was brilliant. And that's the point is that, look, there's a story to be told. It doesn't matter to me if we are in a, a regular campaign or a West March's style. There's always going to be a story. And why stimmy the characters? I mean, if they do stupid things and they're trying to go and invade a cave full of phase spiders, you know, stupid things can happen. And you could mm-hmm. really bugger stuff up and get hurt. But I want you guys to succeed. I always do. But I'm also playing the NPCs. And if the NPC is a beast, it's a beast. It's not intelligent. Yeah. If it's an intelligent NPC, well, they're not stupid. Even if they've got a 10 intelligence, 10 is average. An average doesn't mean you don't think of, I'm not going to put my shoes on to walk across the hot fire. I mean, everybody's smart enough to realize that. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've gone on quite a bit. So perhaps and that's where we... We got to. Hello, good people of the interwebs. This episode is now done, dusted, and finished. I do hope you enjoyed it, and I'll be back in just one week.